All right, welcome back to another Alignment Discussions broadcast meeting of Conscious Creators. I'm your host, Asher Gray, hanging with you. Uh, today we have our, our special friend, Nancy, who's going to be participating in the Alignment Discussion. A little bit about our Alignment Discussions and the way of the Conscious Creator. Our purpose as Conscious Creators is to fulfill fundamental human needs and guide others who have a desire and willingness to do the same. These needs are security, connection, community, intimacy, communication, creative expression, progression, and reflection. Our process is outlined in the following set of measures. Number one, we recognize habit patterns that undermine our purpose. Number two, we gain awareness of those self-defeating habit patterns. Number three, we acknowledge the effects of supporting those self-defeating habit patterns. Number four, we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. Number five, we accept the possibility of new, life-affirming experiences. Number six, we bring our perspective, our attitude and outlook into alignment with our purpose. Number seven, we commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Number eight, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. And finally, number nine, we consciously create new life-affirming experiences. The way of the conscious creator is a spiritual practice. After achieving physical sobriety, many in recovery find that their established habit patterns diminishes their quality of recovery and increases their chances of relapse. In order to sustain conscious contact with a greater power than self, Recovering addicts need to become responsible for the mental effects of these undermining habit patterns. We practice meditative mantras to help the trauma-affected mind become open to new, life-affirming possibilities. Our spiritual practice mitigates the effects of self-defeating habit patterns, much like chemotherapy can shrink tumors or medication can make a virus undetectable. This creates the necessary mental space to reconnect with a greater power than self gradually over time. Our practice helps many to overcome their intellectual resistance through a direct personal experience. And we've been kind of working on redoing because people have been wondering like, okay, what are these fundamental needs? Can you break them down for us a little bit? Because the whole juxta the program uh, as opposed to, say, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, the primary purpose is to stay sober. And that's a great goal. Uh, I was at a meeting last night where I shared that, you know, th that's a static goal, but it's the foot in the door to recovery. And so in Conscious Creators, we're kind of take, dissecting recovery and, and breaking it down into like, well, what, it, what are we recovering from? What what's the thing that's been the real problem? And yeah, we've been addicted to mechanisms. We've been addicted to substances. We've been using intoxicants to control our emotions and to dissociate and do all kinds of things. But really, at the end of the day, we've been under the influence of like a fearful and controlling consciousness. And we've been literally possessed by this like trauma avatar that's basically hijacked our creative ability and kind of limited our connection to our authentic higher self. 
And so when we're actually living in alignment with that authentic higher self, when we have a sustained connection to what we call the consciousness of being, that essence, that, that, that part of us that is, that that's what we are, not who we are, well, then we kind of open ourselves up to new possibilities because we have access to greater creative power. And so the focus of that, so when we step out of the consciousness of fear and control and we kind of bring ourselves, our attitude and our outlook into alignment with this consciousness of love and truth, this spiritual love and truth. Well, we, what is spiritual love and truth? That's like, that can get really new agey and kind of heady. So we break spiritual love and truth down to nine fundamental human needs that are very practical. And would you mind reading those for us today? Sure. Let's see, our fundamental human needs, security, the need to be free from the fear of imagined danger or threat <clears throat> connection, the need to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others, community, the need to fellowship with others in a way that is mutually fulfilling, intimacy, the need to share a sincere and authentic relationship with others. Communication, the need to share or exchange our thoughts, feelings, and desires with others. Creative expression, the need to bring something desired into existence through inspired action. Sensation, the need to physically feel especially authentic human emotion. Progression, the need to develop towards a more desired aim or state of being. Reflection, the need to engage in careful thought with consideration of conscious insight. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so those needs are very different than the needs of the trauma avatar that's kind of like living in fear and obsessed with controlling its environment and controlling its reactions to that environment. And the, you'll notice the first one, the, the first need on that list is the need for security. And so if we don't have that need encapsulated within that need are the basic needs of survival that's always talked about, the need for shelter and procreation and like just basic necessities of life. So that's all kind of in that need for security. But if you notice the need to be free from fear of imagined threat or danger, because so many of us today are, are the fear is real. But the things that we're imagining that's activating the fear within us are imagined. They're often not real and they never come to fruition, but they keep us locked down and they keep us in this fearful vibration obsessed with control. And so when we're in fear of these imagined threats and danger, all these other needs are irrelevant. There is no need to, there is no you know, sustained feeling of affinity with others. There is a sustained attachment to mechanisms to cope with the fear, but there's not a sustained feeling of affinity that I'm sharing and reciprocating with other human beings or my higher power. Does that make sense? And so, and same with community. So cultivating a fellowship with others in a way that's mutually fulfilling. And when we say fulfilling, it's specifically meaning we're nurturing. We're all kind of committed to one another's fulfillment of these fundamental needs. It's not satisfaction. Fulfillment means fulfillment of these fundamental needs that you just read. And so that's a very different fellowship or community than one that's based on mutual survival or a belief in lacking or scarcity. So, so many of us, we trauma bond through this, like, we're just going to get through this and kind of brace up against it or bear down on it or get through life. We can do it. We're strong enough. And we're saying, no, no, no. Like, Surrender your investment in surviving 
And then you can kind of bring yourself, your authentic self into alignment with a creative power that can help you start to thrive. And so do you have any questions on any of those needs? Does anything stand out for you that needs clarification? No. I, I... Any of them particularly resonate with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I have a lot of work to do. Um, and it is living in survival mode when you're addicted to something, actively using. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to move away from all the negative things created by that. So can you talk a little bit about that from your experience? Um, well, I think, you know, I'm still working through a lot. Um, and the basic needs to feel secure, I, I don't think are, they're not met in my life right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard to, you know, sometimes you go to meetings or participate in something and it's too overwhelming for me because I'm not out of the basic security part, mm. you know, and um, it's good to be made aware of all this stuff, mm -hmm. but, but then it's, how do you get back into regular life, you know? Well, that's a great question. And so that's basically what this whole process, the way of the conscious creator process is dedicated to helping to helping an individual fulfill their desire to like basically emancipate their authentic self from this trauma avatar to break free of this fear and control consciousness and begin living authentically in this love and truth consciousness. And it happens by like recognizing and gaining awareness of our survival patterns. And the, 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 these are habitual and ingrained patterns of thought and action that we have been reinforcing for decades, most of us. They didn't happen, happen overnight. They happen very gradually and slowly. But as it, and I'm sure maybe you've heard this being in recovery, you know, they always say that alcoholism or addiction is a progressive disease. It gets worse, never better. Well, we're saying that the progressive and deadly disease is the progression of these ingrained and automatic survival patterns. The more that we become enslaved in these patterns of <clears throat> being ungrateful and be feeling entitled, of rejecting opportunities for love, pushing away opportunities for growth and expansion, um, you know, there's a whole list of like self-defeating survival patterns that we address here, and those are all patterns that when that I have found personally through doing the spiritual practice. When I have meditated on the opposite of those, what it's done is put those survival patterns, it intervenes upon those survival patterns and it puts them into a state of dormancy, much like abstaining from drugs and alcohol would maybe relieve us of that obsession to use. Well, it's the same kind of thing. When we abstain from these survival patterns, they become weaker and they start to fill in because of we're not using them, but we have to actually constantly be redirecting our creative focus and focusing our concentration upon these new desired possibilities, these overriding patterns. And so does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's it's really easy to get stuck in the negative thinking. Yes. You know, and just like, oh, no, I'm just this kind of person. Oh, I'll never get better. Oh, well, it's it's, uh, you know, in the shame and the guilt and Sometimes I, I think, oh, am I just punishing myself 
um, by, by repeating the shame over and over, the, what I should be ashamed of to punish myself. And that doesn't do any any good. I'll never get over to the other side if I keep perpetuating that, mm. you know? So, and, and the way to do that really is to meditate on other things mm -hmm. to bring yourself out of it, to get really deep in your unconscious mind. Cause it's not in my, my conscious mind um, is trying to get better, but these patterns are very deep. And yeah. so they're always fighting to keep their control. You know, they don't want to change, but I want to change. Well, this, this trauma avatar that we've created, this persona or this unconscious character that we talk about in Conscious Creators, it, it doesn't want to die. It's very invested in, and it's much like a virus. The only way that it can maintain life is through hijacking our creative will and using our creative bandwidth to validate its existence. And it does that through validating what it believes it is. So if, like, for example, my trauma avatar for a long time believed he was incapable and worthy of creative recognition and worthy of love. I was a victim. I was incapable of taking care of myself. I needed caretakers. And so I would be, I thought I was the trauma avatar. And so I would go about actively validating my core beliefs by invalidating myself, by creating circumstances where people had to come rescue me. Well, you know, sabotaging and undermining relationships with people who are emotionally available, chasing after people who are emotionally sick and narcissistic. So there was all these things that I was actively doing, thinking that I was my trauma avatar. And so what this practice does is it says, look, everyone's got a trauma avatar. We were all born into this world. You know, it's like with a snip of the surgeon's scalpel and a breath of this world's dysfunctional air, we all traded in our connection to love and truth for this need to relate through human suffering and the human condition. None of us have got escaped that. And so we were all kind of indoctrinated into this thing and we slowly created and manifested this trauma avatar to relate with the people who were in charge of taking care of us, because that's the only way they could relate. So we would just kind of took what we can get, you know? And so what we're doing now is we're just basically saying that's there. We're in fear. There's no like judgment about it. We're just like, we have been indoctrinated into this fear and control, this collective consciousness of fear and control that basically is like under the influence of a trauma virus. And so all we're doing is recognizing that we're saying, all right, cool. I've hit a bottom with this. I don't want to hate myself anymore. I don't want to see through the eyes of this fear and control the, through the consciousness. I don't want to see myself in my world that I share with others through the eyes of this trauma, this, this trauma avatar that believes he's unworthy, that believes he's a victim, that believes people are scary or they're going to dominate me or I, that believes that I can't advocate for myself properly. It believes a million things but they're only true inside my mind and only when I'm in my avatar. So what this does is it says, all right, cool. Those are ingrained and automatic patterns of thinking. And every time that we think a thought again, we're, we're depositing more thought impressions into what you called the unconscious. So the unconscious and, and conscious creators, there's this dual aspect of human, the human mind. And so what's been technically called conscious or unconscious or um, even uh, positive, negative, like masculine and feminine. One is the receptive mind, which would you would call the subconscious mind, that part of the mind that's receiving impressions and that's actively generating and creating this avatar. 
That's the part on every plane of human existence that's always creating. So it's like the feminine or receptive mind. So the subconscious and conscious creators would be like the feminine or the that part of the mind which receives impressions. And the masculine mind, the expressive mind, the conscious mind is that part of us that can basically, we can use our will and we can say and we can command ourselves to do things through the act of will. Does that make sense? So in conscious creators, what we're doing is we're basically feeding new impressions into that receptive feminine unconscious mind to override and start to take over. So we're changing the culture. We're changing that sea of thought impressions. And little by little, with every time we do a, a, a meditation sitting, we're putting more and more loving life-affirming thought impressions into that unconscious, and it's starting to neutralize that unconscious. So now it's no longer actively invested in, in, in maintaining the trauma avatar. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so over time, gradually what happens is we neutralize our own investment in being our trauma avatar. And then we can start to see ourselves. We start to raise our vibration above it. We go, oh my God, I'm not my trauma avatar. I'm not a unlovable, insecure victim who has nothing coming in life that was just all something i was creating whoa and i remember the first moment i was like kind of living above that and looking at that rather than being it and seeing through its own eyes and that's revolutionary and then you go okay cool i like i, I believe in this practice and so what we're doing now and what we did last week and maybe it would be helpful for you is we um we basically did the habit pattern inventory on being ungrateful and entitled last week. So um, there, the, the first habit pattern that we're going to basically be creating in Conscious Creators is a habit pattern of basically cultivating and sustaining a perspective of gratitude and humility. And so do you know what a perspective is? I'm not sure what you mean on how you go about it. Well, I'm going to show you. So, but first off, it's just recognizing that, and I'll just speak for myself. By the time I was in my mid forties, I was becoming increasingly and the habit pattern inventory we're going to read off of is my own. So I was becoming increasingly ungrateful because there was less and less love and opportunity in my life because that trauma avatar and those patterns had become so solidified and had taken over so much of my brain power that I was imprisoned in impossibility. And so that created a perspective that made me fearful. It made me feel entitled. It made me feel a whole bunch of things, but I, I, it made me feel very ungrateful. It made me start to hate and be cynical and resent my existence on earth. And that's the progression of this trauma avatar. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so what, a, what, when we say we want to cultivate a perspective of, of you know, cultivate and sustain a perspective of, of gratitude and humility, we're, we're sustaining a perspective, an attitude, and an outlook. So our attitude is we're grateful because we can recognize possibility. We're vibrating at a frequency that allows us to recognize opportunities for growth and expansion. There's not this God that's bearing down on us or we're not cursed. There's not this thing that's happening to us and we're just being punished because we're terrible people. And I feel so shitty all the time because of all the things I've done and look what a piece of shit I've become. All that narrative becomes neutralized through this practice. And so what we're going to do just to catch you up real quick. What time do you have to leave? You have to leave pretty soon, right? 
Uh, the meeting's at noon, so like. 10 minutes. So why don't we read through um, the habit pattern inventory super quick. And then what I'll do is I'll take you through how we go about installing an overriding pattern that begins to neutralize all the stuff you're going to read right here. And then it just becomes something we're no longer emotionally and psychologically attached to. It's just something, it's almost like something, a phase that we pass through and we're no longer in. We can draw upon it as a point of reference for something we no longer desire to experience and a point of reference to help other people. But when we're in that and we're still actively ungrateful and entitled, you know, it's something that we're wrestling with. We're, we're, and we're not going to go into being ungrateful and entitled and, you know, try to wrestle with it and change it. We're going to say, okay, that is what it is. I have hit a bottom with that. I no longer wish to experience that. So I'm going to bring my focus over here and I'm going to start to create the habit pattern and the possibility of being grateful and uh, humble. So you want to read the inventory? Um, where? It should be no, uh, when I, it's going to be in the white book and it's going to be okay. this one here. Cool. Yep. Yep. That's the, that's the actively create, but we're going to actually go in and look at the issue first. Um, what page? 172. Habit pattern number count. one. Oh, habit pattern number one. When I indulge in the habit pattern of being ungrateful and entitled, I become overly dependent on others, disinterested and bitter. I take the contributions and sacrifices of others for granted. I begin to lack inspiration. I play the victim. I skip over sincerity and go directly to anger and rage. Temper tantrums become a way of life. I hold people to double standards. I consider myself to be exempt from the rules. I feel deserving without putting in the effort. And so that's just what my life begins to look like when I am living in, you know, basically feeling entitled. Like, where's mine? How come everyone else is getting it and I'm not getting anything? What the fuck? Like, I've been here. I've been doing all this. And, you know, that's what I and, and just being ungrateful when I'm living in that persistent state of lack of gratitude and entitlement. This is the lens through which I start to look at my life and how I start to feel. Everyone's is different. You know what I mean? Everyone's is different. Other people's might, you know, the way that they're. Their victimhood might be like they turn it inward and there's all these people that want all this stuff for me, but I fucking don't have anything for myself and everyone's sucking the energy out of me. You know what I mean? Everyone has their own description of it. But the point is doing the habit pattern inventory, we're just basically recognizing what life is like when I indulge in this pattern as best we can. And so then the second one is. So that's when basically the first part is like when I indulge in this habit pattern, I am in my trauma avatar and this is what I start to look and feel like. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then the next one is you want to read number three. The habit pattern validates the core belief that I am incapable because I don't do the, the work necessary to realize my healthy dreams and desires. I expect things to be handed to me. It validates the belief that I am a victim because external conditions seem to conspire against me when it is actually my own mindset that creates those conditions. I validate both of these beliefs by relying on others to take care of me. So that's just me because I had a real propensity to want caretakers and people because I felt like I was a real victim and I wasn't capable of surviving by myself. That was just the main identity of my trauma avatar. 
and I went through great lengths to to manipulate my world in order to find those people. And so, you know, but the point is, is when I'm in my trauma avatar, I am actively validating whatever this trauma avatar believes about itself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And so for you, I don't know if you can draw any of your own examples, just kind of reading this to expand upon it to make it more relatable for others. Um, How like maybe your lack of gratitude and your entitlement shows up because sometimes it's inverted and it looks like it's, it's, it looks like something completely different. You know, I, I, my feelings have been really dulled. Mm-hmm. I, I assume my drinking the isolation um, and I really didn't care if I lived or died. So when I think about being grateful, like people say, well, be grateful that you survived, but I'm not grateful I survived. I don't care. I didn't care. You're indifferent. I became so apathetic to life, you know, that, and it became so painful that I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So I do struggle with, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I do appreciate things but i don't feel things like i used to Mm -hmm. so i think that's something physical a physical condition that i have to work on as well well if you when we go and thank you for that but also when we go down a little bit further um well not but but thank you for like explaining that part and the only thing i would add to it is that when we are actively in the trauma avatar like you mentioned earlier about um, the guilt and the shame, did you? You know what I mean. And when, because this trauma avatar, when it's living in its, in its patterns and it's validating its identity, it's addicted and attached to a specific emotion that it wants to refeel over and over again. It's like resentment, but it's like a resentment with ourselves. So we'll just refeel this shame and this guilt all the time, and it's persistent. It's kind of subtle enough that we don't necessarily know we're doing it to ourselves so much, but we're doing it enough that there's no connection to the love and joy in the world. That spiritual love and truth, that abundance that's in our essence, that's what we are, we're almost completely disconnected from it because of this attachment to the shame and the guilt and then also living in the fear. And so when we start to raise our vibration above that, we start to that those those other emotions beyond those that we're attached to and addicted to, they start to become available to us. And then we have to increase our tolerance to receive those because mm-hmm. we're not used to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I probably do push that away for different fears that I developed, you know, even deep of not feeling worthy to receive anything like that. Yep. You know? like, I, oh, I don't that. deserve that. I did, I did stupid things. I hurt people. Mm-hmm. So why should I get anything? Yep. You know, kind of like that. Yep. Yeah. And that's the narrative. And when I'm living in that narrative, I'm validating that belief that I am unworthy. And I'm emotion the emotional counterpart to that is that attachment to well, the shame and the guilt of look how bad I fucked up, or look at these people I hurt, or why why would God do anything for me anyway? Like I don't know what your narrative says, but my narrative talks to me like that. And it's very convincing. And it's very hypnotizing. So I'm like auto-programming myself all the time to like live in this trauma avatar because that trauma avatar wants to survive. It doesn't want to die off. I agree with that. I just read a book. um, It was talking about that. And I didn't realize that how deep that is and how it's threatened because I'm trying to do better. 
and it will sabotage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like I think of it as a separate entity because I have my conscious mind <laughs> and I'm going about and this is living here that I'm not in touch with it, but I see the way it's playing out. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard to, well, I mean, it was like pretty, wow, that's, that's so deep within me that I, and I do have to find a way to excise that. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I gather, it is through meditations, mm -hmm. you know, um, well, it's through, and, and that's why we do like a meditative mantra practice, because sitting in meditation, passively sitting in meditation, as opposed to actively taking myself in hand and bringing my untrained, undisciplined, apathetic, lazy, cynical mind where I'm at as a 48-year-old man and getting it to focus consistently on these new possibilities and consistently saying these words over and over again that have a very high vibration and consistently showing up and advocating for myself and exercising my will and using the logos to put this out into the universe. I'm changing my auric field. I'm changing the nature of the impressions in my unconscious or receptive mind. And I'm literally overriding these patterns and I'm raising my vibration above the trauma avatar. And once that starts to bear fruit, hold on. Once that begins to bear fruit, and I recognize that it's bearing fruit, then I'm all in. Because for there's a while there when you start doing the, 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 the there, is a, there is a phase of blind faith when we're first sitting with um, these uh, possibility mantras, because prior to doing the fulfillment and the alignment mantras, we start with the possibility mantras. And we might not get to that before you leave. But what I did want to do is finish up this, this inventory, because as you're going to read now, when we are actively validating a belief, and you said the, the belief of being unworthy, when I'm living in my trauma avatar, I'm in that fear and control consciousness, I have no connection to what we call GPS. Mm -hmm. And some people who are religious would call that a greater power than self. Some people who don't have that going on, it's a greater perspective than self. It's a spiritual perspective of spiritual love and truth that is objective and we can see our, our trauma avatar through its eyes of, of, you know, lack of, there's no judgment. It's just, look, this is what you've created. Is it working for you or not? But when we're actively in our trauma avatar and we're actively validating its beliefs, and you said sabotage, the trauma avatar isn't a saboteur. The trauma avatar is trying everything it can to survive. So it's insanely protecting itself from anything that's going to undermine its control of us. Does that make sense? So if we fundamentally believe that we're unworthy and unlovable and someone comes, something comes in that shows us we're worthy, creative recognition, or something shows us that we're lovable, someone wants to love us unconditionally, what that thing will do is create scenarios that look like sabotage, but really it's just insanely protecting itself because it wants to live. And if we were, yeah. if we accept those, opportunities for growth and expansion, we're going to grow beyond the trauma avatar and all of a sudden we're lovable and capable. Then what's it got? So it literally is just insanely protecting us, which gave me a lot of helpfulness because, oh, if I'm not really a saboteur, saboteur doesn't give me much to work with. But if this avatar is just trying to stay alive and it's in, it's just protecting itself, oh, that gives me something to work with. So you see what I'm saying? No, that's completely true. And it is a survival thing and it's going to any length to to survive and 
in doing so, it's doing the opposite. And so when I sit down and I start working with people and conscious creators now, as opposed to when we were doing it before, is I have a direct conversation with that avatar. Because that avatar at the end of the day is the me. There's Okay, so there's the I. There's the authentic higher self. That's like the all-seeing eye that's connected to God consciousness. And then there's the me that's always in a process of becoming. And so when the me and the I are in alignment, well, the me has access to all the power of the authentic higher self and has all the access to the power of spiritual love and truth. But when the me has been hijacked by this possession or this gremlin or this trauma avatar, it stays stagnant. It becomes addicted to certainty. It becomes addicted to control. It becomes, it becomes very like, it stays, it doesn't, it's not in the state of becoming, it's not progressing, it's not developing towards a more desired aim or state of being. It's hunkered down in fear and obsessed with controlling its environment invalidating its identity so when the me aspect of you know our, our our self becomes hijacked by the trauma avatar only us only we can go in and liberate that nothing can do it externally no guru no book we have to go in and we have to do the work and for the most part people well i won't say for the most part but that's a level of responsibility that a lot of people are not willing to even look at because it wants, you know, most of us want to want to attribute someone that power to someone else. This guru is going to come in and do it for me. God's going to do it. You see all the time people sitting in the room waiting for God to fix these patterns where literally God is sending people like me with the tools to help those people liberate themselves from the patterns. Um, all, all we can do is play the set of tools at someone's feet, whether they choose to pick them up or not. That's on them. But the thing I wanted to go before you left was. When the avatar is actively validating these core beliefs, it's doing something even more de devastating to us. And that's in the fourth call, the fourth part. So it's at the bottom of 172. It says, when I indulge in this pattern, would you read that paragraph at the bottom of 172? When I indulge in this habit pattern, I neglect the fundamental need for connection through bitterness and resentment, for intimacy by being inauthentic, for community by not pulling my own weight, and alienating others for progression by stunting my development for expression by withholding my true insecurities and for creativity by will willfully neglecting my internal source of inspiration. So when I am in my trauma avatar and I am actively validating what its identity, I am neglecting all of these fundamental needs right here. I'm neglecting spiritual love and truth. I am neglecting inner wholeness and joy. And of course, then I'm going to be driven to escape and, you know, actively engage, addictively engage mechanisms for any kind of relief because I'm neglecting my need for security. I'm neglecting my need to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others. I'm neglecting my need to have a sincere and authentic relationship with others and a higher power. I'm neglecting my need to develop towards a more desired aim. I'm not bringing something desired and meaningful into existence. I'm not doing any of that. I'm using all of my creative bandwidth to validate this gremlin inside of me. And that's uncomfortable. And it makes me have an internal void of incompletion that's so profound. I'm going to be driven to all kinds of act actions to find some relief. And for me, that looks like getting high on drugs, seeking out inappropriate sexual partners, doing all kinds of things to distract myself and stay in a dissociated state because I can't tolerate my internal incompletion. Yeah, so it's kind of like, um, let me see. I drink to stop the voices. 
because I couldn't stand listening to my brain. You mean that inner narrative that was t- was just telling you things about yourself, like not nice things, right? Like, yeah, it just was really like the worst kind of person you could ever meet, you know? Self-hatred. Self-hatred, yeah. Mm-hmm. And feeling like I didn't, I couldn't fix it anymore. You know, I couldn't figure out what to fix, which I have in the past. I, I mean, things were really good for a long time, and mm-hmm. then they weren't. You know, well, and there's two things. This might be helpful for you. There's two things that really pro, like accelerate uh, this progressive and deadly disease that we call unconscious creation. That you know, these ingrained and automatic survival patterns. This, this, these patterns that keep this trauma avatar hijacking our creativity. There's two things that expedite that process and progress that disease. And that's isolation and prolonged dissociation with mechanisms. So when you go through a period of a year or two where you're living in isolation and you're relying upon mechanisms to stay in a dissociated state, both of those things, because what happens when you're alone and you're disconnected from other people, there's nothing, the shared reality is really, really great because we interact with it. And when we interact with it, we are that, that what we say and is reflected back at us through our interactions with other people. So it tends to check us. There's going to be people that say, well, why are you talking to yourself like that? Oh, don't be so mean to yourself. Like you're not, yeah. Like you you can see in a moment that you're not this horrible piece of shit that you are because it's reflected in the people who are interacting with you and loving you. But when we're just isolated in a room, that part of us has free reign to just drive it home. There's nothing that's checking it. There's no connections and shared reality that's offsetting that energy. And it just, it's like, imagine just someone beating you to death, just lashing you to death. And so that's why it's really important to do what we can to stay out of isolation. Yeah, the pandemic, that that did it for me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And a lot of people can probably relate with that. And so the last part I wanted, does that make sense? Uh, The part about, you know, we're absolutely not even giving any of our, we're not using our will to support the fulfillment of these fundamental needs. We're not using our will. We're not mentally and spiritually aligned with love and truth. And our, our, our purpose as conscious creators, in conscious creators, we're not humans trying to have a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. It's very different. And so by practicing this, we're going to liberate our spiritual being from the confines of this like animal cage that we're, because we're not just here and part of the animal kingdom. Like we're literal spiritual beings that have this human vehicle in order to have, to create opportunities to feel love in a physical body and to grow and expand in a physical form. And that's amazing opportunity, but most of the time it gets squandered because people are just in their avatars invalidating themselves rather than focusing on these needs. And when they're doing that, the last part of this that I wanted you to read, the very top line on page 173, what does that say? My primary emotional response is arrogance and indifference. And I related with you, you said it was more like shame, guilt, and indifference. Like you had, you, you didn't really care if you lived or die. You were just indifferent to the whole thing. There was no like feeling. No, I want, yeah, I wanted to get out of the pain. I didn't care about life, you know. That's kind of indifferent. Yeah, apathetic. It's pretty deep indifferent, you know. For sure. <laughs> it's like the final indifferent. But that's like where this avatar progresses to by the time we're middle-aged and beyond. That wasn't the feeling. Maybe it, that, that was a lot less noticeable and a lot more subtle when we were 25. 
But when we're 50, this is a progressive thing. So the older we get, the more our brain is set in stone and the more we are our trauma avatars. That's true. So the older we are, we get, the more we have to aggressively go in and we need to like basically change the culture. Like we've been the Cleveland Browns for 20 years. It's been a losing football team. How do we turn them into the Patriots? Well, we have to go in and change the thought impressions and we have to actively override these patterns that are keeping us in that vibration. Yeah. And, and that's where I get stuck too. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's too late. I'm already too old. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's true, that's okay to think that, but is it possible that you're not too old? Yeah. I mean, you just said it. Perfect. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying, but when we accept that possibility and that's a good, you, that's a great segue into what we're going to talk about. I would say, let's talk about that next week. If you're planning on coming, because we can have a discussion. Cause I don't think it's something that can be done in the next two minutes before you leave, but then we can go into what the possibility mantras are, how we begin to, to do the practice. Cause I've done this. I was a completely different person five years ago. It's taken five years for me to liberate myself from the most debilitating habit patterns. They didn't die overnight. Some of them took years. But the way that I'm interacting with and connecting to every aspect of my reality now is what's really gradual at first. And now it's like, whoa, it's very different. It's very different because now I'm living life inside. I'm not depending on these external circumstances to make me feel okay or validated. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing something out of me and sharing it with the world, regardless of what's going on in front of me. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's like they reverse the flow of something. I was just like, I need this. I just never enough. And now it's like, oh no, here, it's never enough. I, I have more than enough. And so, but that took like five years, but that's like a small investment. When I've lived, I'm 48. If I if if I had to do that for five years and now I can continue, where am I going to be in five more years? So if you're open and available to coming next week, it'd, it'd be great because then I can just kind of then you being someone who's just like I don't know what the fuck any of this is, you know, you could say, well, what do you mean? Like, what's going on? That might help other people because getting into the possibility mantras because we have to ready our mind to receive these new possibilities, and we do that first by phrasing these mantras in the form of a possibility. And so we, instead of saying, if someone, for example, has believed their whole life, they're ugly. And, and maybe you can relate to this. I know I can relate to this. When I was like, when I tried to phrase my affirmations and just the opposite way, if I said, all right, well, I'm just gonna use the ugly example. I know I'm ugly. My trauma avatar has already accepted that possibility and it has built that I am ugly into my, uh, into my framework. It's the part of the substructure of my trauma avatar. And so if I come, if someone comes along and says, you're beautiful, my trauma avatar is going to dissociate from that or deflect that and push that away. It's going to protect me from the possibility of being beautiful. So in order for those impressions to begin to reach the unconscious mind and change the culture of that unconscious to neutralize the negativity happening there, we have to be able to get those thought impressions through the insecurity guard, that trauma avatar. So the way we do that is instead of saying, oh, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, say, I accept the possibility of being beautiful. I accept that being beautiful is possible for me. I accept that I can now be beautiful. I just love being beautiful rather than believing I'm ugly. So that's a little glimpse into how the possibility mantras work. But every single one of these mantras, there's 21 of them, before we go in and we actually say the I am, I choose, I love, God help me bring these things. First, we need to get that unconscious or that subconscious or the feminine receptive part of our brain neutralized and on board. 
So it's not actively in, like protecting us from something that's really something we desire. Does that make sense? So the possibility mantras are, are there to neutralize? To bring that, yeah, to bring, you know, because we're very heavily invested in this trauma avatar. And we're very, when we're in the trauma avatar, we don't know it, but we're living in that fear and control vibration. There's a consciousness, our consciousness is literally contaminated with this fear and which brings on this obsessive need to either control others or be controlled by others. But with fear, there's always the need for control. And so what we want to do is we want to neutralize all that before we actually build the new patterns and bring in inner wholeness and joy and actually bring ourselves into alignment with the love and truth consciousness. We first need to just be neutral. We can't be invested in the fear and control and the trauma avatar. So what this does is by introducing these possibilities, it puts enough impressions in and it builds the, the substructure of what's going to be these new habit patterns. Does that make sense to you? But the only way to get them into the unconscious is to frame them in the form of a possibility rather than an I am statement. Because no. it already believes it is not beautiful. It already believes it's ugly. So if I say I am beautiful, it's going to say, no, you're not. And it's going to deflect it. It won't let those impressions get into the unconscious. Does that make sense? That totally does make sense mm -hmm. because it, uh, it's not going, it's not going to believe it. You know, even just saying it kind of like irritates me because I'm like, I don't believe it. So what's it matter? But yeah, if you say, well, it's a possibility then it's like, okay, well, I'm looking for possibilities. Mm -hmm. And possibility is just neutrality. So before, and if you look at like a positive to a negative charge, so if we're negatively charged electrons, how, does it just flip over to positive or does it go through a neutral phase first? Well, it goes through a neutral phase, just like every morning and night. It doesn't just flip tonight. We go through morning and we go through evening. We go through this middling process of every day where it's not bright or dark. It's just it's it's evening and it's morning. So that's the same thing we're doing with with our with our internal thought processes. So was this yeah. helpful for you today? Yeah, very much. Um, I, th I actually think part of my lack of feeling is trying to switch over from, you know, it's like a, it is like a neutral thing where I don't, I know I can't survive in the past, but I'm afraid of the future. So I kind of dull myself because I'm afraid to put myself out there. Yep. And, but I'm also afraid to stay where I am. Yeah. So yeah. It's just like, I think there's a part in the book. Can I read something to you real quick? Yeah. Well, that speaks exactly to what you're doing here. Um, fourth measure. Pardon me. Just give me one sec. There we go. It was, oh, it's right in the beginning of this. So, uh, where is it? Well, it's just basically saying when the fear of the unknown, when the when the when when the misery of what's known, when is, is outweighs the fear of the unknown, that's when we'll start our journey. When what's known is so fucking like intolerable that it outweighs any fear of these the unknown 
we're going to begin our journey. And that's why the very first fundamental need is read the way it is. Our fundamental need for security is the need to be free from the fear of imagined danger or threat. So we're never going to like imagine fear doesn't exist. When we're fearful, we're fearful. But if we're fearful of an imagined threat or danger that we're creating with our own mind, we're living in anticipation of that. We need to be free of that. And so that's why we define security that way. Hmm. The freedom from the fear of imagined threat or danger, because we're imagining these things. And it's keeping us in fear. And when we are when we keep ourselves in fear like that, what happens with the trauma avatar? It's alive. So it's it's a fear of anticipating this future shoe that drops. And this goes way back. This is so ingrained into like who we are. This goes all the way back to the ice age. This goes back to like the last cataclysm that hit the earth and the people that survived that. We've been waiting for the other shoe to drop since then. It's like in our bio, biological makeup. And so what this is doing is saying the next ice age could come in two years. We could all be frozen to death and dead, but we can't live in anticipation of that moment. We're powerless to it. We can't stockpile food and resources and put the whole world under cultivation and just like hoard, hoard, hoard. And we're just like, you know, that higher power, whatever that, that the spiritual wisdom of, of like infinite intelligence is going to do what it's going to do. We don't have control over that. Why are we bracing up against this and, and acting as if this thing like waiting in anticipation of this is blocking us from receiving and transmitting spiritual love and truth? Does that make sense? Definitely true. And so what we're doing in conscious creators is learning like a deeper level of surrender, not just to these mechanisms like we learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, these mechanisms that we need to surrender our investment in, but the whole psychological thought, like, you know, this trauma avatar, we need to surrender our investment in that and in fear and control. And yeah. then we can open up ourselves. It doesn't matter what age we are, but only we, us as individuals can do that for ourselves. By doing this practice, I've tried medication, pills, <laughs> girlfriends, everything possible, gurus, yoga, all of it. Nothing worked until I actively took myself by the hand and, 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 and neutralized these patterns and started to create new patterns that then opened me up in a way that I could recognize and I could appreciate and I could start to fight for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Even you talking to me from a year ago. I've just been doing this practice. Remember when we were reading through the book before? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, markedly, I can recognize that just my, like, my authentic, my, I'm way more authentic and just kind of here and there's no investment. It's just like, I'm just here to be of service. And that's a result of the practice. That's why I'm so curious as to where I go it goes. Where's, where am I in three years, five years? You know what I mean? What kind of new and interesting experiences can I be co-creating with this power? Because I know what I got when I don't have this power. I have complete control, but of misery and isolation and shit. But it's my shit and I get to completely be in control of it. But for me, I hit a bottom with that. I don't want that. Yeah, I could see like how many things I've tried. And this this time, I'm just going to stick with this time period. Mm -hmm. um, constantly trying things to fix it. And I each time I don't. I get more disappointed, you know, and feel like, I don't think I could fix it. Mm -hmm. I keep trying and nothing's working and like, this is supposed to work and that doesn't work and this promise and that this and 
you know, I'm reading through things better, mm-hmm. you know, all those quick fixes that you see constantly around us. People want, need to make money and yeah. they're using us to do it, you know, like little pyramids of self-help. Yeah. Well, I'm past that part, but I'm still like looking for the things that used to work on a spiritual level that still aren't working for me. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'm actually have a good way of integrating mm. things into my life to make that really come into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is just, and I'm sure there's other things out there, but I mean, this literally, this process was born from my desire to like, you know, be able to consistently show, like do these things that are in these things. Like it's just that. And so I'm just passing along because it works. Um, And so it's basically like I'm becoming my own guru and so you, every person who does it, because all we're doing is just basically dissolving our attachment to the trauma avatar and all these shitty patterns based on decisions we made as seven-year-olds who were scared and overwhelmed. And we're just opening ourselves up to this divine wisdom that is us and allowing ourselves to co-create with that. And we become our own guru. Which is what I need to do because I don't have any faith in myself. And so I'm putting it in other things that are going to disappoint me. And I never feel okay myself, you mm-hmm. know, like I need something else to validate. That's what you were talking about. Living before, outside really. in. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. So yeah, I have like zero faith in myself, you know, in that self that's hijacked yeah. by the trauma avatar and imprisoned in fear and control. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. As you should, it's an inadequate guide. It's an unfit guide. It will never, ever, ever get you to where you want to go, where you truly desire what's truly meaningful for you. And that's okay, but just to have empathy for that, because you created that in order to navigate some pretty impossible situations as a child, and it's just progressed. Do you understand? Yeah. Because we didn't have the ability to communicate, to, you know, to set boundaries, to state how we feel. There weren't people in our lives to even receive that and reflect that back to us we were surviving. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so to have empathy for that and just go, okay, this is the product of me living unconsciously on these patterns that were created out of moments of neglect and trauma when I was a child and and unconscious, unable to even understand what was happening. And there's no one to blame. We're not blaming people at this point. We're saying this is the residual effect of all that. And now we're, it's automatic. So it's like you tap the knee and the, the doctor taps the knee with the mallet, the leg, knee waves. It's as automatic as that. So we need to go in and intervene upon that and put that to rest. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's totally, totally true. And yeah. Cool. Well, we're done for today. Uh, I wanted to well, thank you so much for coming out and uh, appreciate yeah, it. Awesome. Yeah, and it's I'm a really, good. I'm taking away most. Um, well, you know, trying to raise my level of hope again, but using the word possibility mm-hmm. so I can at least let something come in because that's really strong um, thing that you just said, a uh, concept of, of not jumping to, no, I am. Because how many things do you go through where they just say, just say, I am this, I am that. And I could say that all I want to, but I don't believe it. Right. And maybe eventually, but... There's, you're right. You do have to kind of go through a, hey, you know what? It is possible. Okay, so everything else failed, but try it because it is possible. Mm-hmm. It gives you it gives you a sense of 
of hope. You know what I mean? And I just, if you don't mind me just kind of speaking directly to that part of you that is the trauma avatar and that's really invested in everything that's been created, even though there's another part of you that's literally miserable and running out of hope because of it. Only thing that's going to happen to you, you don't die. You just become more empowered. Yeah. I still have an identity. I still have an avatar. I still have a character, but it's a conscious character. It's a con character that has access to and is consciously aware. And so all that's going to happen to you, and you won't even notice. There's no part of you that's going to notice dying off. There's not going to be this fearful thing because it's very connected to the instincts for survival. And so you're not dying. You're just evolving. I promise you. Because my 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 own avatar and my own character is now just a consciously aligned character. There was no phase through this because it's so gradual. Wherever I went, oh my God, there's this. I mean, there is some letting go and there's some, you know, some crying and there's all kinds of things that organically come about when you're just kind of powering back up again and re you're integrating all those things and you're reconnecting to that innocence and to that love and that truth. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens, but you never experience death talking to the ego or the trauma avatar that's really scared and really instinctually protected. That doesn't happen. So if you can accept that as a possibility, well, then you don't need to be so hyper alert and vigilant and on guard for anything that's going to threaten your existence. Because all you're doing is you're just changing your game. You're getting a new game. Is, like it, a, is it the ego that, that um, is, is what living this is it the ego i just stay out of all that because that's very vague mm -hmm. but for unconscious creators in the literature it says that we have a we're, we're we're thinking into and supporting we're bringing we're we're raising our conscious awareness and our vibrational frequency to enable ourselves to be a part of this collective consciousness of love and truth and that those the aspects of that when we say our prayers in the person is completely welcome to say whatever version of that they want. But it says, you know, I pray to God consciousness. I pray to um, the consciousness of being within that fundamental essence within us, what we are. Okay. That direct extension of love and truth from God consciousness. I pray to my authentic higher self. I pray to angels and gurus and saints and deities, past, present, and future. So infinite, inf infinity, but at no part are we praying to the trauma avatar. You see what I'm saying? So there's just this character, this persona, this unconscious character, this trauma avatar. It's it's a, it's an accumulation and a concentration of what our narrative is and what we believe. It's the result of living in fear and control, in this fear and control consciousness for the last 40, 50 years, whatever. So all we're doing is we're just, so the ego is real vague, but we can specifically see that we have a persona or a character, or a veil that we have. It's really inauthentic. It's built upon fear. And all it's doing is hyper, it's hyper focused on validating its existence at our detriment. So the ego is real vague, but that trauma avatar, that character of unconsciousness, that makes sense. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Because there's so many different things. Some people call the ego the higher self, but we're saying we have a higher authentic self. It's the one that's not under the influence and direct domination of the trauma avatar. I got to turn this off now. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next week.